When I was a little kid, I was always at church. When your stepdad is a professional piano player and your mom can sing and you're Christians, that combination means you're always at church, anytime the doors were open. Didn't matter what was going on. And as I got older, that actually escalated because I made friends at church and I got involved and I actually liked it. My best friends were at church and I would get roped into all kinds of stuff. Saturday mornings, garage sales, I'm lugging stuff around. Sunday, Sunday mornings, helping to fold bulletins, whatever was going on, our family was always right in the middle of it. And I have a lot of good memories from being a part of this community of faith, but three really stand out to me. There was a Christmas play where we would have these living Christmas trees, gigantic two-story tall trees that people would stand in and they would have these wonderful Christmas productions. And uh, at the end, I mean, this is the early 90s, so at the end, there was the obligatory pyrotechnics. King of kings forever, forever, and lord of lords, hallelujah. I mean, just explosions everywhere. Well, during the finale, part of the side of the, the organ actually caught on fire. Now, thinking about it now, it's, it's terrifying to think of what could have happened. But luckily, one of the choir members took off their choir robe and beat out the flames. But there was smoke everywhere. I had to be about 12 years old. That was the most fun I ever had at church. I mean, you wanna get a 12 year old's attention, set something on fire, and, and they totally did. And uh, there was also, as I got older, and I was able to show a little bit more maturity, my friend Jason and I, we could put the worship lyrics on top of an overhead projector and project them. And I just thought, I mean, that authority totally went to my head, but luckily, you know, luckily I didn't think I was that big of a deal. But I, actually, it was fun. I was worshiping God, I was behind the scenes, and I got to hang out with my friend. I, some of my best nights as a as a high schooler were just uh, on Sunday night, putting the overhead projector words up so everyone could know the lyrics because it was our modern worship night. But then there was the day our church uh, split. There was some kind of argument and the pastor came up and told the church, uh, this isn't working, I'm gonna start a new church down the street. Uh, said, follow me and threw his microphone down on the stage and walked up, walked out of the building through the center aisle and people were trying to make a split on the, mo on, you know, split second decision, do I stay, do I go? Uh, people, some people followed him and some people stayed and all of a sudden, you know, there were there were friendships from my youth group, where all of a sudden, my best friend's family they were on the bad side because they followed the pastor, or I was on the bad side because our family stayed at the church. We chose one of the other, and the relational carnage was uh, it, it took its toll. It was brutal to go through, brutal to to think about those dynamics, and. We all know, like relationships, they're already complicated. Your parents to kids or friends or boyfriend and girlfriend or husband and wife. And church is made up of people. Church is made up of relationships and those relationships are complicated too. And we, we, have, uh, we have evidence, I mean, from, from the first like 
couple chapters of the Bible, we see that relationships are complicated. Cain and Abel start to, to quarrel over, over the idea of scarcity and, oh, his, his sacrifice is better than mine. But we even see uh, in the early church, relationships are complicated. In Galatians 2, we have the story of, of the, the rock, Peter, is, is starting to snub Gentile believers, and he's only sitting, he's, he's, via, he's violating these rules of, of table fellowship, um, Christian table fe- fellowship, which means you eat with everybody, but he's saying, no, 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 I'm gonna eat with the Jewish background believers. Contrary to the direction Jesus was taking this whole thing, the Apostle Paul hears about it, and he rebukes Peter publicly. I can't imagine how awkward that had to be. I can't imagine just what everybody's doing in that moment. Paul walks in, says, what are you doing? You're making these, you're making these Gentile believers feel like they're less than? You're snubbing them? You are actually with Jesus. What's wrong with you? I don't know the tone. I don't know the exact words of it, but oh my goodness, that had to be awkward. And it was awkward. I mean, the, the early church fathers, as, as they're trying to decide which of these letters and which of these gospels be, is accepted into the canon of scripture, they argued about it. They argued like, maybe this, this can't be the same Peter. Peter would never do that. But I think it's a, a thing of beauty. And one of the things that, I, that makes me feel even more uh, settled in my faith is they didn't try to remove this awkwardness out of the text. They kept it in there and they, they kept it in the, in the scripture, in the letter and everything as a, way, as a way to show, like, here's how we work things out. But also, even those of us in charge get it or that have a title, that have some responsibility, even the, those people, they get it wrong sometimes. So I love how Henry Nouwen puts this about being a part of the, the community of faith. And he says, community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. Often we surround ourselves with the people we most want to live with, thus forming a club or a clique, not a community. Anyone can form a club. It takes grace, shared vision, and hard work to form a community. And Paul wrote, uh, Paul wrote about this a lot, addressed a lot of division in the community in almost all of his letters that we have. But I picked out this one today. In Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So this is a commonly known, if you're around church for a while, you, you hear about this, this passage every now and then. But I want to take a, a second for us to, to process what Paul's talking about here when he says, work out your salvation. And... A lot of us, our minds would go to, oh, so work out your salvation. That means you got to work through some issues. Maybe work on some emotional baggage that you have. Maybe you need to work a little bit harder on some, some harmful habits 
that, that you have in your life, and your, in your personal life. And then you can kind of earn your, your way back into God's good graces. But Paul isn't talking about earning anything here. I mean, Paul learned the hard way. In other letters that he wrote, he said, I was the, I was the best earner around. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I studied under the best religious teachers, and, and I had all the spiritual merit badges but it didn't amount to anything you know, because Paul knew the good news of Jesus isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. No, Jesus has earned everything for us. But when he's talking about working out your salvation, he's already given us some clues that come from earlier in the letter. There's, there's language in there that talks about being of one mind and looking to the interests of others and having the same mindset is Jesus Christ. Actually, I'll just read one of them to you now. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 3. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I've been reading that in my own personal time with Jesus, and we've been talking about it here the past couple of months. Paul is talking about the hard work of maintaining human relationships. When he's saying work out your salvation, he's saying this is a, a rubber meets the road practical way to continue to, to stay connected to Jesus, stay dependent on Jesus, and to let Jesus work in you. Our salvation isn't merely vertical. It's not, all right, Jesus, you and I are good, so I can just put everything into autopilot, right? No, it's, it's horizontal too. How we treat our brothers and sisters, how we treat our neighbors, and how we treat the people outside of our own tribe. It's saying, work out your, your salvation. It has a relational component, and I know it's messy. I wish I could say, there's a way around this. I wish... Uh, I could say, oh, here's a side door. We can just, we don't have to worry about that. But over and over in the scriptures, it talks about the importance of following Jesus in our relationships. And this is one of the most unique distinctives about our church, Solid Ground. Our culture here, especially in America, is highly individualistic and you know, a domino effect, so many of, of our churches and our church models, especially in North America, are individualistic. Uh, there was a theologian that, that called a lot of churches, um, hey, uh, we are purveyors of religious goods and services. We have a group for you. We have a program for you. It's about you, 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 and your favorite, your customized uh, worship experience. And I, I'm not bashing other people. I think there's room for all kinds of churches and all kinds of styles and approaches. But one of the things that drew me to solid ground and our church network is this idea, this, this value. It's a stated value and it's also a lived out value and how, they, how our, our group runs things. And as we're moving forward, I want it to become more and more woven into the DNA of Solid Ground Church, that we belong to the community of faith. That's the, there's a statement, it's 
Uh, you can download it. It's on our website. You can download it at the denominations website. We can put a link to it. But here's the stated value. Belonging to the community of faith. We value integrity in relationships and mutual accountability in an atmosphere of grace, love, and acceptance. Now, this, this, I think it's a beautiful thing on paper, but when I read it, I picture like those scales with a fulcrum on it, and I've, I view integrity on one side of, of the scale, and I view uh, a mutual accountability as the fulcrum that these, these balanced scale weights and measures they, they balance on. And on this side, I picture the atmosphere of grace and love and acceptance. Because I've, I've been in other church environments, uh, whether I attended, uh, you know, I've been in church environments where I've picked up a few church hurts. That's what I call them been through some rough situations at different churches, attending, uh, serving at. And my guess is there's more than a few of you out there that have picked up a few scars along the way. And it came from people inside this community of faith. And that's why I love the, this image of, 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 uh, of integrity in relationships and mutual accountability and grace and love and acceptance. Because if you only have this value of integrity, you run the risk of becoming the integrity police. You run the risk of becoming legalistic and, and saying, hey, it's all about integrity and integrity is so important. But I love that the fulcrum of mutual accountability means that the, the people who have responsibility are accountable to the congregation. They're accountable to the people. The people are accountable. We're, we're, we're all in this together. And once, once it, as far as I'm concerned, once you start asking or asserting that you are in charge or, or asking who's in charge, there's already something wrong in the kingdom of God. As Jesus said, we're supposed to outserve each other. And yes, we're going to have conflict, but that's always a, a warning sign to me. And I think when you, when you have mutual accountability, it, pr it protects against those top-heavy, authoritarian, narcissistic tendencies that, that are in the news you know, with, with church, but also with business and, and all in the arts. It's all over the place in our culture. And this is a distinct thing that, that, that I'm pointing out and want to give language to because it's a way that, that our church stands out and is countercultural. Yes, we care about integrity, but it's done with mutual accountability in our church, and also in an atmosphere of love and grace and acceptance. So if you only have integrity, you run the risk of having legalism. If there's no mutual accountability, you, you run the risk of having that authoritarian style culture that hurts people. And if you only have grace, love, and acceptance, then woohoo, anything goes. And you run the risk of going towards licentiousness and, and, and confusion and everything's fuzzy and you don't know like who, like wh what are we even doing here? But those three things are needed to keep, uh, keep the group together and it brings, it, it brings everything into balance. We need all of these things. And it, it, if you have 
a, a story of a church hurt. If you're watching this because you refuse to go back to church because somebody said something to you or did something to you, you can probably use that tool to troubleshoot where things got out of whack. Maybe someone said something that was maybe true, but they didn't have love and grace. They didn't have the right heart. Um, so you can use that tool because with only one of those things, uh, it doesn't work. It's either way too heavy handed or completely unclear. So uh, we have this beautiful idea on paper. It's one of the things that, that, um, that drew me to Solid Ground Church. And I'm an idealist. It's like, oh, look at this. We have a church that well, we're, we're, we're going after integrity. We want to be the same in public as we are in private. And we want to do things with love and grace and, and everyone's accountable to everybody. Doesn't that just sound so wonderful? We just sit around and talk about how awesome we are. It's great on paper, but living this out like, this is really messy because people have opinions, people have needs. Uh, I, and I love it uh, when theologians start talking about science. Uh, and uh, Leonard Sweet talks about this dynamic. And he's a, he's a, a Methodist theologian. Um, and he says this, One of the rarest things in the cosmos is a solution a chronically solitary particle which remains unaffected even when it collides with another. God only made a handful of solutions in the entire universe. Humans are not one of them. <laughs> it's like, ooh, that'll preach, Leonard. We're trying to work this out together. And it's, if you read Paul, especially the last half of the New Testament, basically, he's talking so many times about people who are having conflict in the church, people who have different ideas. And time after time after time, he's saying, I don't need you to think the same way. I want you to stay together. I want you to figure out how to follow Jesus together. Now, there's one part where he says, even be convinced in your own mind. He's saying, you can disagree, but disagree lovingly. Disagree passionately, but don't separate. But here in America, we love, we love to separate over disagreements. Over, yeah, there's, there's big stuff, but, but we'll separate over all kinds of stuff. All kinds of, what? You don't like the, you don't like the Dodgers? Oh, don't talk to me. And then it kind of goes from there in church world. What? You don't like, you don't like modern worship? You, you like the old school stuff? Oh, no, don't worry. Don't even talk to me. But Paul would say, like, hey, work all these things out together. Again, just to read it one more time, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. You know the easiest way to follow that advice from Paul? Just don't live near people. But that's not an option for all of us. But this value that we've been looking at of the brethren in Christ and, and this, the main point of this talk, I'm not trying to say, everyone just be nice to each other. Just get along because if you don't just, if, if, if you're not friendly and, and peaceful, oh, watch out, God's gonna get mad. He can't stand all that noise. I got this image in my mind of God being like a grumpy uncle or grumpy grandpa at a family gathering who just wants the kids to be quiet. And, hey, you, you guys keep it down. 
No, God's, that's not the point of all this. The point of belonging to a community of faith is that it's good for you and me. It, it allows us to be with Jesus as, as Jesus you know, is inside of the other brothers and sisters and inside of you. It, it teaches us what's God like, what God is like. It teaches us um, it, uh, how, to, how to be in God's kingdom. It changes us from the inside out. It makes us a bright, shining light that Jesus talked about, the salt and light of the, of the earth. So being a part of community is much more useful than just giving us warm fuzzies and, and kumbaya moments. No, this is about progressing, like God working in us. And before I got married, someone said, hey, Mike, just so you know, marriage is for your holiness, not for your happiness. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to write that down because that'll preach someday. But I started thinking about this, like, it's not just marriage that's there for your holiness. You know, what if all of our relationships, they do make us happy. There is the potential for that. But what if we started viewing our relationships to others through those glasses? Like, I can learn something, even if it's learning what not to do. I I can learn something from this situation. What is God trying to tell me as I'm working out my salvation? I think it might change our perspective about the people who bug us, might change our perspective about, about going to, to, to church, might, uh, going to, to, to groups together. We'd be like, whoa, I'm going to learn a little bit more. I'm going to become a little bit more like Jesus. So what is it like, pra- like practically, what does it look like to belong to the community of faith? Well, number one, it means you have a voice. This beautiful passage in Matthew 18 that the, the people who started solid ground and their, their kind of stream that started us, they took this very seriously that when you're a part of the community, you have a voice, that you matter. And yes, we could get, we already talked about going off too far on the integrity police, but it means like, hey, you matter to this community and you have something, a thought, you have skills, uh, and your story, it matters to this community. Uh, belonging to the community of faith, number two, it means that you don't have to figure all this out on your own. Philippians 2 talks about there's tenderness, there's compassion, there's encouragement. It means when you feel like you are in the desert of life and you're, you're dying, you're exhausted, you have no thirst, the, the community comes beside you and puts their arm over, over their shoulder and, and gives you refreshing water. Like, and they're, they're with you tenderly, compassionately, and, and they're encouraging you. It means you don't have to figure it out all on your own. And it also means, number three, it means a lot of different things, but here's just three of them. It means that you don't have to do it all or be everything to everybody because you're part of a body you know corinthians and ephesians these these letters they talk about this imagery of the church is the body of christ you don't have to be the hand you don't have to be the foot at the same time you don't have to be the shoulders like everybody has their their gifts everybody has their place and for me that is so relieving you don't have to be everything. You don't have to do it all on your own or be everything. 
and you're in this group where you're, you're, you're mutually, sometimes you're the one that's doing the encouraging. Sometimes you're the one that's showing the compassion and you're the one encouraging others. So this is why I choose to be a part of the Solid Ground family. And now more than ever, I need those things in my life and I need to learn how to do those things, how to, how to use my voice, how to encourage others and how to, how to not try to do everything on my own. So like church, it, it, it is not just a place or a building. We say that from time to time. Church is people. Church is not programs. It's people. I know that people are messy, but at the same time, this is how God is choosing to work in the world. And if you've been hurt by church, if you've been burnt out by church, brother, sister, I totally get that. I totally get that because I've been there too. But don't give up on the body and the, the, the community of faith. And I'm not saying the solid ground is the perfect silver bullet solution for you and that, that, oh, just come here and all those church hurts go away. What I am saying is that it's good for you to be in a healthy local community of believers. And if you're not in one, I want you to be in one. We're always gonna be here on YouTube, but if you live far away, you need to be like face to face as much as possible with a healthy group of people uh, that are following Jesus. And if you need help finding one, reach out to us in the comments, direct messages. If you live close to, uh, to solid ground, and we meet at 10 a.m. Pacific time every single Sunday. And here's, here's the deal, if you come and this isn't a good fit for you, we'll help you find a healthy, Jesus-loving, life-giving church that's near you, uh, it, we'll do it all we can. Uh, we can't make one out of, out of scratch, but short of calling one into existence with our words, I wanna help you be a part of the body of Christ and belong to a community of faith. So let me pray for you and then we'll dismiss. Dear Heavenly Father, in a world that's so lonely, in a world that's so polarized, uh, will you please show us um, anything in our hearts, anything in our thinking, where, where we're creating division, where we're separating ourselves out, uh, or where we feel like we've been pushed out, please heal us. For everyone that has a church hurt right now, I ask that they will sense you with them in this moment, and that you would guide their steps, that your word would be a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path and that they would take their place in the body of Christ and belong to this community that you are creating. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said before, if you need help, need prayer, just want to update us, you can always contact us at sgbic.com. And until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.